Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Revelation Wellness Podcast. My name is Elisa Keaton. Today, I'm bringing you an interview with someone I want you to know. Her name is Nika Maples. And in the spirit of our theme this month, if you follow us on our social media channels, which we sure hope you do, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, our theme this month is Through the Wild. Now, in the spirit of our new program, Rev Wild, our outdoor leadership program uh, that is released, we wanted to just get into this wilderness mindset this month because some of you are facing really hard times. You might not actually live off the grid and in the wild, but you are in a season where you are being challenged to breathe and to soften and to learn what it means to know God's heart and and presence for you in hard places. So this story today, Nika is going to share her testimony. She is a teacher, a communicator, an author, uh, the creator of her own magazine. You can find out more about her at nikamaples.com. And I actually encourage you to subscribe to her magazine. Uh, It's so uplifting and encouraging because the mantle of hope is one that has been placed on Nika's life. At the age of 20, Nika finds herself in the intensive care unit suffering a full stroke, quadriplegic, and to this day, she is still having to come through the wild and the effects, the lingering effects that this stroke had on her life. You guys, she's going to share her story. I, I, I just love testimony, right? I just think if we hear testimony, it releases something in us. And so I I beg you to listen all the way through. She gives us nuggets. She shares her story of what it was like to be really, truly a prisoner in her own body, feeling and hearing, but not able to communicate and how the Lord's presence rested so thickly upon her. She says, there will always be voices of dissent, but God magnifies a positive voice. In the wilderness, we hear his voice and it amplifies. A positive voice will amplify. So listen to the voice of Nika today. Find out more about her by swiping up on the show notes and also about our Rev Wild Outdoor Leadership Training that starts on June 3rd. Okay, you guys, be blessed. Enjoy your day. Peace. Nika, I am so excited you are here. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here too. How crazy is it that we, I mean, what, when was the Declare Conference when we met? That that was in October and neither one of us even knew one another, but we kind of just were so inspired by the messages we both shared and knew we were kindred spirits. Kindred spirits. Yeah, for sure. I I just knew, I've been saying, Nika, we're, we're, we're new friends, but I knew that, you know, there's those people that they come across your eyesight and there's this knowing that I'm going to know them. I don't, and I need to know them and I'm going to know them somehow. And just kind of through time. Well, I think what happened is you had a speaker that had, couldn't do your next event and you were looking for someone in fitness, right? Yes, that's right. And so, um, you were so kind to invite me. So I got to go to your keep going workshop, um, like about, I don't know, it was in December. Was that December or something? That, that was the beginning of January. Oh yeah. my gosh. Okay. And you were so excellent then. The perfect one for that spot. And um, people were so touched uh, and changed. I'm still hearing people say, 
you know, one little sentence that Elisa said that day, one little nugget from that day has changed the way they view everything about eating or about moving, you know, that's, that's exactly what I was hoping for. That's so good. So we are fast friends and I love it. So I'm like, okay, Mika, I got to get you on the show because I want my people. I feel like the beautiful thing about this podcast is I get to introduce my friends to my best, the best of friends. You have to know this person. Who do you know that I should know? And I love that when the podcast gets to do that. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself, Nika. Well, my name is Nika Maples and, um, I'm a native Texan and grew up thinking that I was going to be a broadcast journalist. That's what I wanted to do my whole life mm-hmm. and um, planned for that. I went to college um, planning to be a journalist. And my sophomore year, I experienced some dizziness that increased and increased and um, some numbness in different limbs. And we went and got that checked out. And I had been diagnosed with lupus when I was 12 years old. Uh, but, But doctors assured me that that was kind of under control with the use of steroids and other lupus medications. Um, and so the only thing that lupus had attacked in my body over the years, um, and if people don't know, lupus is an autoimmune disorder and the body attacks itself. Mm-hmm. So the the area of concentration that lupus was attacking was my kidneys over the years. But then when I went off to college, things were great. Lupus seemed to be under control. So everyone was surprised when I started experiencing neurological symptoms like dizziness and numbness. Um, And then on uh, March 2nd, 1994, exactly 26 years ago. Wow. Wait, today? No. What's today? No, yesterday was March 2nd. That's right. So today is another anniversary. It's the anniversary of the day after, which which is its own special kind of memorial, you know. Right. But so yesterday was the um, the anniversary, the twenty sixth anniversary of this massive brainstem stroke that happened. It was eight o'clock eight o'clock in the evening, and um, <laughs> yeah, tell I, that story about weren't you at the Olive Garden or something? Oh, that was a yeah, a couple of. <laughs> Uh, days before, I was serving um, as a, a wait staff at the Olive Garden, and <laughs> suddenly I could not carry the trays. I mean, I, twenty pound trays that I'd carried before were suddenly too much for me, my hands, and they were just mm-hmm. shaking. Mm-hmm. And I think on the in the night you may be referring to, um, we had some families, young families, all at a big table, and I was I was serving some kind of frosty beverage. Um, My hand was just shaking with this tray and the whole um, tray went over onto the table and this like margarita uh, frozen frozen beverage went down this poor woman's shoulder. She was nursing a baby. No way. And this, she had to like guard her child from this icy substance alcoholic beverage (laughs) yes I felt awful of course my manager kicked me out for the night and I just on that night you know I had no idea what was coming I had no idea that I was about to have a stroke Mm -hmm. all I knew was that my life was crumbling around me Mm -hmm. you know I I was not able to go to class I would wake up and I I couldn't go to my college classes I was too exhausted and then having accidents like that one that are traumatic I mean Mm -hmm. 
people were so upset. It was embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thought, what is going, what's wrong with my hands? Mm-hmm. And um, went to the car that night just crying. And um, so, yeah, to fast forward a few days after that, I, I it was 8 o'clock in the evening on March 2nd. And um, I just got up thinking that I was going to go to the bathroom and I took one step toward the bathroom and fell on my face. Mm-hmm. And my mother happened to be home because I was visiting home. I went to college in another town, but she, heard, the mercy of God was that I was visiting home yeah. and she heard me fall, came into the room. She calls 911 and um, the ambulance came and whisked me away to the uh, intensive care unit. And my mother, of course, followed behind. And when we finally arrived, I was unable to respond. And But I could hear. It's just that my body was not responding at all. Mm. So um, it's. I think it's still on the books somewhere that I was in a coma. But I can test that because I can remember every single thing of those 10 days that I was in the intensive care unit, I wasn't unconscious. Right. In fact, you know, I couldn't even sleep. I mean, so I was awake hearing the nurses come out in and out of the room. I heard the the heart monitors beside the bed. And, um, but, but I was unresponsive in that when they asked me, can you feel this? Did you, and they would poke my feet. I would feel it. But you couldn't say anything respond so you know they had something sharp and they would they would poke the soles of my feet or they would poke the my fingertips can you feel this can you feel this Mm. and um I would feel all of those sensations I just couldn't tell them that I could so they would say oh she's numb she can't feel that Mm. Um, and it just wasn't the truth but how frustrating too right like feeling like a body prison I can't get out and tell them I'm here man what an encouragement I I just side note, like when people are on their deathbed, I like they hear you. They hear you all the way. I just have to believe, even if they can't respond or nothing, there is a a dwelling of their consciousness that is there. So, anyways, that's a powerful t- testimony. So keep going. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I definitely want people to know that even if a person is comatose and is unconscious, um, you still have to act as if they can hear. That's right. They're not not present. They're present Amen. in the room. To to peek, speak about them, be very careful. What you mm. say is as if they were listening because some part of them is. Amen. Um, so um, I during that time I was listening, and doctors would talk about me in the room. They just did, and um, also when they were out in the hall. I could still hear because I developed kind of a super hearing um, because I had my, all my other senses were in a sense incapacitated. I wasn't eating. uh, So I had no sense of taste going for me. My eyes were closed. I could have seen if my eyelids would have opened. So um, all those things had the the body is miraculous and then it overcompensates. So I, I would hear conversations out at the nurse's station I would hear conversations, I mean, way beyond my room, my um, intensive care unit. And so um, I heard doctors telling my mother that I had as little as 48 hours to live. And if I lived through that miraculous window, that, um, that I would be 
in a vegetative state for the rest of my life, unable to walk, unable to talk. And um, they specifically told her to look into a nursing home or assisted living for me. Well, it was six weeks after my 20th birthday. So to hear the words nursing home for the rest of your life, that was absolutely shocking. But here's what I want people to know is that um, there's there will always be voices of dissent. There will always be voices of negativity, of um, in, of just discouragement. But there, God does something amazing with a positive voice. He magnifies it. Yeah. So even though these doctors were saying um, negative, uh, just a negative prognosis again and again, my mother said, yes, but has anyone ever survived a brain injury of this magnitude? Mm. And the doctor said, um, ma'am, we can't make, we can't make any promises. You know, he tried to dissuade her and she said, no, I'm asking you, Mm. has anyone ever survived a brain injury of this magnitude? And the doctor said, he specifically said, Miss Maples, it used this situation was day to day at first, and now it has deteriorated to survival from minute to minute. Mm-hmm. So your daughter is surviving minute to minute now, this day to day. And so, and she interrupted him and she said, I have to ask you again, has anyone ever survived a brain injury of this magnitude? Mm-hmm. And he said, maybe one. And she said, well, one is all I need. Uh, <laughs> okay. I don't, my mom passed away two years ago. Can your mom be my new mom? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. That is a woman of tenacity. Yes, oh, she is. oh, I love that. So you're saying there's a chance. Come on. Yes. So, and she had asked God, for um, some little encouragement from my body. She was like, just, she sat by my bedside and she was like, Lord, give me some encouragement from her body. And they had told her that I had lost my gag reflex. That's one of the most dangerous Mm -hmm. things when you're, um, you know, quadriplegic. And um, they said, you know, she could asphyxiate any, any point. And so she said, they said she can't cough. She can't you know, any of that. So she, right when she was praying, Lord, will you give me a small encouragement to keep going with this? And she said that in the ICU, I suddenly coughed. <sighs> and so she was like, that's it. From then on, she was like, no, I, I'm not listening to another. Amen. That is it. The Lord gave me the encouragement I need. They said she would never have a gag reflex. And there it is right there. So, you know, um, from then on, she would massage my feet, she would massage my legs, um, massage my hands, and um, people would come in and friends would come in and talk to me eventually. At first they said um, no visitors, of course, but then when I lived through the 48-hour window, they said, um, you know, maybe some people can come and say goodbye to her. They really still said, say goodbye. You know, I had my closest friend and uh, a boyfriend at the time came and said goodbye. And um, then when I was able to 
do something that resembled speech a little bit. And when I moved my right pinky, then they, I think everyone was just amazed and um, totally didn't even know what to do with it. So they kept giving prognoses like, um, okay, well, she lives, but she'll never walk. Mm. Okay. And, you know, or she'll never, they said she'll never see again. They took videos of my eyes because my pupils were not working in tandem. My eyeballs were not working in tandem. Mm. One would face one wall and the other one face the other wall. Mm. So I would see both sides of the room with like a gap in between. And um, they say that my eyeballs were just bouncing around. And they said, that's the way it's going to be forever. There's no way that her eyes can go back into working in unison. And um, at that point, I mean, I think we just decided it wasn't that helpful to listen. I mean, I know that doctors are trained. Right. And so, so wise. My father is a physician. So um, we have great respect for doctors, but they aren't the last word. That's right. The great, the great physician is the last word. So we consult doctors. They mm -hmm. are so, they're helpful guides, but their word is not the final word. Mm. So, um, you know, when I started regaining, um, when my eyeballs started slowing down and kind of starting to work together to track throughout the room. Mm -hmm. I mean, every, every physician was like, okay, well at this point we're not, we're not saying anything else. We're just going to watch it unfold <laughs> because you know, that she's so far um, gone past anything that we've <laughs> seen. I mean, they actually took some videos of me um, to the national level of like, physicians, a neurologist gathering for a conference that year because they were like, we don't even know wow. what is happening with this girl. Like, this is, this is amazing. But the insurance would no longer provide for me to stay inpatient in the hospital. Mm. So um, I ended up going home. And while I was still in a wheelchair, and I could hardly push myself um, mm. two inches at a time. And I knew what to do with that. And, and I'll tell you why I knew what to do. Yeah. Because when I first went from a regular hospital to a rehabilitation hospital, uh -huh. that was so exciting to me because it meant that instead of lying in my hospital bed all day, uh -huh. I was get to go to these therapy gyms, these, yeah. these um, occupational therapists, uh -huh. physical therapists. I had appointments all day. But they have a battery of exercises that they're very used to using. Everyone on my floor, I was on a geriatric floor, of course, because the other people who had had strokes were 80. Uh -huh. And um, I was 20. They were all 80. Wow. So there was, they didn't put up much of a fight, I think, or much of, <laughs> you know, about exercises that were boring. But yeah. a 20 old is going to put up a stink about exercises that are boring. So I had to do... All these, you know, they would hold me with this gate belt around my waist and ask me to do all these um, exercises with my hands on a countertop. And, and the one that just pushed me over the edge, <laughs> they have this, these bowls and these little plastic white pegs that are about the length of cigarette butts. Mm -hmm. And she was just saying, try to pick up one peg in one bowl and put it in the next bowl. And... Um, Last week, I spoke to a large group of occupational therapists, and when I told this story, I mean, they laughed harder. Uh -huh. They laughed so hard, and they came up to me afterwards, and they were like, 
Yes, those white pegs, those are terrible, but we all use them. I mean, that's just what we use. <laughs> so they really got my frustration. But um, I was so tired of, I had been like an active college sophomore. Right. And now I was spending hours every day moving a white peg <laughs> one bowl to the other bowl. And I finally just turned to my physical therapist. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. um, she, and she was like, why? I said, she thought it was because I was exhausted. I said, it's because this is meaningless. Mm. I, I can't do something that is meaningless for hours like this. This doesn't inspire me to get where I'm going. Like there's nothing in my, I'm not going to be picking up cigarette butts in my life. <laughs> yeah, I got a destiny. And I don't think the cigarette butts have anything to do with it. Right. I told her this is this has nothing to do with my future. But if we can like create exercises that have to do with my future, mm -hmm. then I'm going to want to do them. I promise I'll want to do them, mm. but I don't even want to come to the gym when this is what I'm doing. Mm. It's like just it's pointless to me. And she said, well, you tell me what you want to get back to and I will create the plan mm -hmm. that is specific for you. And I said, okay, number one, I I sewed my own prom dress in high school. I'm a seamstress. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to get me to where I can thread a needle. Mm -hmm. She was like, oh, okay. <laughs> People would have to picture that my hands were not operating well. Right. Like I, I'm a full functioning, healthy woman. I have a hard time threading a needle. <laughs> right. My hands were curled. I mean, they, they were curled up um, and like almost club hands in a way because my I, I didn't even have control of my arms, much less my fingers. So my arms would kind of like flap. And when I tried to move my hand, my arm would flap. My hand would fall onto the counter. And um, these curled fingers, she was like, okay. But she saw in my eyes that what I thought, thought I could do was thread a needle. Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, I'll tell you this much. We're not starting with the needle, <laughs> but we, I can make a plan for us to get there. And she started me with rope. I was going to say, yeah. she was like, tie a knot in this rope. Just tie a knot in this rope. Mm -hmm. And I tied a knot. It was like a big knot where I'm like pulling it with my shoulders. Mm -hmm. That, that big of a knot. And we graduated till I was, working with yarn mm -hmm. and then eventually thread a needle. Mm -hmm. um, but some other things that I had said, said were part of my future on that same day. I said, okay, I'm a seamstress. I need to thread a needle. I'm a Christian. So I need to turn the pages of a Bible without mm -hmm. ripping. And right now I'm ripping them out. <laughs> so I, I'm going to need to, you're going to have to fine tune my fingers so I can turn pages. Well, see, that's a, a totally different mindset of like, can you pick up a peg and put it in a bowl? Amen. It's, say, I know that my future involves reading the Bible, and you're going to have to help me turn pages. <sighs> and, um, you know, I said also, um, I'm a writer, so I'm going to be. I'm going to have to type. I know <laughs> that I'm going to be right now. At the time, I was still thinking I was going to be a broadcast journalist. Mm. So I was like, I'm going to need to type, and so create that plan. And the other thing I said, Elisa, was I said, um, 
and I sing. Like I perform and I sing for for people. And so I'm going to have my brother bring a guitar up here, and we're going to just work with the strings. And she goes, "Oh, you didn't tell me that you played the guitar." And I, I said, "I don't." But <laughs> as long as we're dreaming big, let's just go for it. I'll <laughs> you every this is why i love nika i love you i love you you're like in the worst pit but you're thinking bigger than you've ever thought before perfect yeah and and really and truly my brother brought a guitar into my hospital room and i die to this day i don't know how to play the guitar but seeing a guitar That's right that was telling me, you're not only going to get back to the life you had, you're going to go beyond it. That's right. And so I, ha I had to look at it. I had to see, because people were posting get well cards and it is in my hospital room. And at a certain point, I was like, I really don't want get well cards. Take them all down. I don't want the get well cards up. I want the guitar up. I want my running shoes. And they were like, okay, well, um, we'll get you some Velcro shoes. I was like, no, I will not. I want my running shoes. And if people have to tie that for me for a while, then so be it. But I'm going to work every night. I'm going to work on tying these. And I did. I mean, they brought me the running shoes that I had before my stroke. And you know what I did with those cards? I ripped them in half because this is what I thought. Not not in a bad way. Right. The, the, the sentiment sure. that was written to me was on the back and the front was basically if you ripped it off, it was a postcard because it was pretty on the front and blank on the back. Mm -hmm. So those 80-year-old people who were on my floor had no one. I was getting all kinds of visitors from college students mm -hmm. that were my friends. Those 80-year-old, I don't know, maybe their other members of their family lived far away or their mm -hmm. friends had already passed away. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I'm getting tons of cards. They have no cards. So here, I'll keep the sentiment that's written on the back of the card. Mm -hmm. I'm going to my half of the card and I went in my little wheelchair. I was like, this is therapy. I'm I'm yeah pushing the chair down the hall and I visited those 80-year-old patients and I brought them the front half of my card oh. because I had nothing else to give. Come on. So I was like, this is what they can have. I, I don't have a whole card to give because I want to keep this part for myself, but I can give them half of what I have. Come on. And so I gave Gave them little cards. I made friends, learned their names because I was like, at a certain point too, you have to stop like denying that you're there. I wanted to pretend that I was not in a hospital, mm. but then I was like, or I could be a light in a hospital. Come on, that's right. I could do that, and so yeah, I'm because God often asks us to grow while we grieve. Now that's uncomfortable because. We want to grieve and be left alone to do it. Ooh. But that's not what he asks because grieving, there's never more fertile ground than when you're grieving. Yeah. It is, it is raw. Yeah. And it is fertile. It is like activated because you are talking to him constantly. Even if what you're saying is I'm frustrated, I'm sad, you're still in mm -hmm. your constantly talking to the Lord in some way. And so he wants you to grow while you grieve, which is not to dismiss the grief. Mm -hmm. It's to process it. Mm. it grow, growing while you grieve is the way that we process grief. So exactly. that was kind of like what I was doing with those cards was I realized I do have a role to play. It's not where I wanted to be. I didn't want to be on a hospital campus. I wanted to be on a college campus, mm -hmm. but I'm going to do what he's, 
what he puts on my heart to do. And if I'm ministering to 80 year olds that are stroke patients that can't speak, then so be it. Amen. I have to ask you, were you always this courageous and filled with gumption? Were you this way as a little girl? Like, sounds like your mom was quite an influence, but were you, were you, were you that before? Well, um, my mom says that she noticed, she tells me that she noticed a turning point when I was um, in seventh grade. And it was because I had started taking um, all the medication for, for lupus in seventh grade. And my face got really fat mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it was like um, a moon face, a steroid face mm-hmm. that comes with taking heavy, heavy doses of. And what happened was like my, my I developed these weird p- pockets of fat like on the back of my neck it's yeah. called it's called a buffalo hump mm-hmm. and so when you're um in in junior high and suddenly you have a buffalo hump on the back of your neck between your shoulders and when you're suddenly your face is unrecognizable to you mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you're looking at, you don't even recognize yourself because it's a it's not just a chubby face I was I would have been fine with a chubby face yeah. but like a moon face yeah. it's it looks it was like stretched Mm-hmm. And, and de- almost deformed because of the medicine. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there were other little things. And my I developed huge stretch marks on my back, like really thick, as thick as a finger, um, these stretch marks that were purple on my back. And all of these things that were distressing to me. And I, I cried and cried. And I said, I'm ugly. I'm ugly. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kept thinking that. And the doctor had given me a book to read called the sun is my enemy meaning because oh yeah you're not supposed to be in the sun can't be in the sun well it was explaining to me that i would not be able able to be in the sun anymore but it had some um stories in it about people who had dealt with lupus and and lost the battle and i'm reading this when i'm 13 that this is yeah he gave me a book I mean, and this I'm reading is like mortifying and the sun is your enemy. Like talk about implanting fear in a person. Right. Yes, it did. Mm-hmm. And um, so I read about, but she says that I, can't, I stopped crying that day and I came to her and I said, I would rather be ugly than dead. Mm-hmm. I, I read all of these stories about people who died and because they wouldn't take the medicine and I would rather be ugly than dead. And she said from that moment on, I was, um, I had like a heart that was resilient of yeah. like, well, we're going to do what we have to do to cling to life. Yeah. And um, that's what I, I guess that was my decision in seventh grade was, yeah. you know, if, if, if my path involves things that are unpleasant, like physically unpleasant, then so be it. I'm going to cling to life. Amen. And, um, so I started seeing that you didn't have to cling to life because you can cling to life in a bitter way. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's not helpful. It, it becomes more stiff, more hard. Yeah. And I've listened to so many of your podcasts where you talk about softness. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is um, the key to my resilience is the softness mm-hmm. of saying, okay, what can I still do, Lord? Instead of mourning all the things that are that are gone now, you you're gonna have to give me your eyes to see what I can still do. And that's when I discovered things like um, giving cards to to the patients and, and little yeah. things that 
I wouldn't have thought of if I hadn't said, okay, this hurts so bad that right now I'm blinded with grief because mm-hmm. I'm mourning the person that I was. I mean, I used to mm-hmm. be fun and roller skate and jump and all this. You have to, you have to mourn for those losses. Yeah. He doesn't say not to. Right. Um, but he's like, and while you're mourning her, let's celebrate the new, the new aspects of your life that you're going to develop because all the excess has been stripped away. So what has this chapter, what it would, we have a theme this month in Revelation on us into the wild, like into that wilderness thing. And I mean, I would say this would seem like something most people would say, not me, Lord, don't. Um, I want my health. I want everything. And no one would pick this. And this came upon you and it would appear like a wilderness. What has the wilderness of that, of this part two of your life taught you? Well, truly there is no way that anyone would want to go through it. But, but we always hear people say, and I echo their sentiment I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do it again, but I wouldn't trade it. I mean, because, because I, there are sides of God. There, there are aspects of his provision for you that you can't know until you walk through those moments. And so, yeah, to this day, I'm not going to heroically say, you know, it was great. It was, it was horrifying, but he was present. And that part was always sweet. And just as the you know, I think a lot about the uh, the Israelites in the wilderness when they were walking, and you know what a what a misery that must have been. It was so hot, mm-hmm. no relief. Mm-hmm. But they never would have known the God that could crack open a rock and mm. waterfall. They would have never known that sweetness. They would never known the God that could rain down bread on their front lawn, and all they had to do was go get it. Amen. They would have known the God that says, hey, you, I provide so acutely for you that your, your feet will grow, but your shoes won't wear out. Mm. You'll grow. I'm sorry. Did I cut you off? Keep going. You'll grow. Yeah. Like they, they, a lot of those people grew up. They went from children to adults Mm -hmm. and their shoes Mm -hmm. still fit. So God gives us, I mean, he didn't, he didn't have to do that, but he pro- proved his provision, and they would never have met that that side of him. Mm. So, Nika, tell me, who do you know God to be because of the wilderness you've walked through? Um, I know him as an a intimate friend. Mm. Um, there, you know, I, I kind of felt like he really wanted me to say this on this podcast, which it's funny because I've never um, said this out loud before. I originally wrote this in my book, but um, I was cautioned to take it out. But I'm going to say it out loud right say now. Say it. Uh, let's do it. I'm ready. We're ready. I just I felt like it needed to be on this podcast. That um, you know there are a lot of things with with paralysis that are humiliating. And for one thing, I was 20, so I'm in ICU. I'm laying there. Well, I couldn't move a single bit, but my body was still menstruating. Mm-hmm. And I knew, I knew when that was supposed to begin mm-hmm. as I, as I, as I started my time in the, in the 
ICU, I knew, oh my goodness, God, get me out of here mm. by this time because you and I both know what's coming even when nobody else does, mm. you know? Yeah. And I was like, he's got to save me from this. I know he will. I know he'll save me from this, but it did. I was not. Right. I mean, I, I was still quadriplegic when that began. Mm. And of course, there's there are a few things that I think a woman would say they were willing for somebody else to take care of other than that. Yeah. It's like there are certain things that we just want to be private about and wow. take care of ourselves. And I want to say that God, through, through intimate experiences like that, where I was like, I'm so embarrassed. Mm. I'm so humiliated mm -hmm. he was right there holding my hands saying i know mm. oh, i know Mika. i know it's it's okay i know whereas i couldn't speak so i couldn't tell anybody this is so hard mm. and then there was this other moment in icu where um when they first started giving me like one more like one tiny taste of pureed food trying to see if maybe i could swallow it they would often like feed me that and then put me at a 90 degree angle in the bed so that gravity would kind of help um, me, me digest the food mm -hmm. and then all the medical professionals would I don't know they would leave the room and just leave me because I had to sit there 90 degree angle for 30 minutes wow. and I, I didn't have my eyes open but I knew from what they had told me that across from my bed was a picture window into the hallway, hmm. or into like the, the ICU hallway. Mm -hmm. They had said that so many times. I had never seen it because my eyes, eyelids were closed, but they had said so many times that there's a picture window across from the bed. Okay. So they put me up at a 90 degree angle. And when you're paralyzed, they, they just kind of place a hospital gown on you. <laughs> they, they don't tie it behind <laughs> You're not moving. Oh, gosh. I know where this is going. So they sat me up at a 90-degree angle, They and for a minute, it stayed in place. Right. But when they all left, you know, I could feel it. I, I could mm. feel, oh, it's about, it's going down. And I was paralyzed. I couldn't, I couldn't even make a noise to say, come here. And the whole gown fell down to my waist. Mm. And so, again, to be sitting there in those, those kind of intimate moments yeah. where it's like, to be like, I know that I'm in front of a picture window right now. Wow. I know I'm completely exposed. Yeah. Come on. In front of a picture window. And I'm humiliated. Mm -hmm. And I can't move. And I can't speak. And those kinds of things, I took to the Lord. And I felt him saying, I know. And I'm here with you. And oh. I'm embarrassed. I'm here with you. And I feel it too. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I'm so sorry. You know, it mm -hmm. was just an intimate friendship because I shared those moments with not another soul. Yes. But I shared those moments with God, mm. with Jesus. And so, um, <laughs> you know, then there was one, one time when I would beg people like through garbled speech, I would say, would you come in and hold my hand? I mean, I would just say, hold hand, hold mm -hmm. hand. Mm -hmm. Cause it's the only way that I could fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And, um, mm -hmm. One night, they just, and then people get distracted. They just left, you know, like they would run around. Nurses couldn't sit there holding my hand until I fell asleep. Mm -hmm. And so one night I just said, Lord, please send someone to hold my hand. 
Mm-hmm. Please send, just send some, because I can't ask anybody. Please send someone mm-hmm. to hold my hand. And someone walked in the room and sat down beside the bed and took my hand. I was like, Lord, I don't even know who this was. I knew it was a masculine presence. I could smell like oh. this. Another thing was my, my sense of smell Smelling. was like super, super strong. Yeah. So I knew it was a masculine scent. And he walked in, sat down and took my hand and um, didn't say a word. And I was like praising the Lord wow. on the inside. Thank you that I can fall asleep. Just let that person stay there long enough. Yeah. And fall asleep, and I, I fell asleep, and when I woke up in the morning, that person was still holding my hand, and wow. then I heard the nurses come in, and I realized they were not acknowledging that anyone was in the room. Oh, and as, come on. As, as soon as I felt, wait a second, no one is in here. Oh, Nika, Nika. That is the picture on my hand was gone, and I knew that the Lord Himself had held my hand. Nika. Okay. So, like, that's that's the, the stuff that happens in the wilderness. Amen. That you wouldn't trade. You wouldn't trade Amen. it. Amen. You know, and yet, as difficult as it is, the Lord shows his sweetness and makes it a treasured time. Yeah. So I want to say to anyone who is going through a real wilderness season right now, yeah. and I believe the Lord is going to bring people to hear this podcast, this yeah. specific episode the people who are going through a, a completely hopeless season a, a wilderness please dear friend look for evidences of God's sweetness he will crack open a rock for you yeah. to, to provide the water of life that you need in any given moment you just ask but you look at the same time ask and then look for his presence because sometimes those humiliating moments will not be stopped. Yeah, that's right. They still, they still go on, Yeah, but he's with you in them, you know. Oh, Nika, oh my gosh. Thank you for going there with the body, with these places of exposure with the body. Like if we, we can come back to ourselves with his presence to integrate us back, like there is nothing that we are ever to be ashamed of, right? That he lifts our head in all things. And thank you that you would share something because I know that will resonate with people today that are maybe hiding some things behind fig leaves when it comes to their body or what it does or how others might see it or perceive it or how we might need the help of another in the weakness of our body or whatever it is. But God is so tender. And that's a, such a vulnerable, beautiful place of intimacy that no one else can go but him with us, right? Uh-huh. That's right. Oh, man. I could keep talking forever, but I, oh my God, I have questions I didn't answer, but I feel like I got even more out of this than I could have asked or imagined. So I would love it if before you go, well, okay, I'm going to do a rapid fire question with you. I didn't okay. tell you I was going to do this. Um, and then I'd love for you to pray for everyone who's listening to this podcast. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. First thing, um, what's your favorite food my favorite food yeah i i've never met any food i didn't like i love it all i love all kinds of food you have no staple food um 
I just like a variety. I like so, uh, sweet tea. I, Why don't that's food? Yes. Okay. Well, you said favorite food. That's a favorite beverage it's for true. sure. That's true. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And what about what's something you can't live without? Um, I cannot live without music. Mm, me too. Uh, yeah, I listen to it loud. Uh, me too. If you've ever come to our live events, we always have earplugs right at the door. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, if people take the earplugs, I'm not offended because you're about to, you're about to feel the music. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Okay. And now who do you know that our people should know? Who do I know? Um, you know what? I, I don't, you mean personally? Yeah. Like someone that you go, you know, or me or, you know, if it's me personally, cause it'll probably represent the, the ministry. Like who do you know that we should know? Yeah. Um, I kind of felt a begin before I started this uh, podcast, I kind of wanted to point people to, have you ever heard of the chosen? There's an app called The Chosen. And I don't know Dallas Jenkins. He's a director. Okay. But I'm telling you that I want to know him. And that is a an app. The Chosen is free. And it's he's made um, videos. It's like an, a video of Christ's life. So for anyone who needs encouragement of like they're like not connecting with the Bible. And yeah. I feel like if they're like, I can't picture it. I'm not connecting. It's kind of dry. Go download the Chosen app and watch a few episodes. He's got eight episodes of Christ's life. And I mean, the way I read the Bible um, has changed. Oh, because I love it. That, because I can picture everything. So, no, I don't That's know good. this person, but I feel like other people should know him. Yeah, I love that. No, we want to know that. And I love that, you know, because we think in pictures. That's how we learn. We think in pictures. And even words we learn are pictures. So anything that can add yes three dimensions to something of a story in our head that's fantastic okay and some of the you know like some of the videos that are made of the bible or of jesus i think jesus doesn't he doesn't seem like a person i would want to meet <laughs> in these videos he's like a personable guy yeah. and i'm like that's what jesus is like so that's so true i know we kind of put him up like on some type of a stage or i don't know like he just seems unreachable yes it's so good all right. And then finally, what or how does wellness play a role in your life? Um, I definitely see a connection between meaning and wellness. I do not, I, if I cannot connect meaning to what I'm eating or to what I'm doing, yeah. and I then it has no purpose for me and I lose interest. And um, I think through following uh, Revelation Wellness, and what I'm not just saying this because I'm on this podcast. <laughs> I hope not. It's like the absolute truth that when I started listening to the podcast, when I read the book, mm -hmm. when I started RevWell TV, mm -hmm. it really changed my whole mindset to see, mm -hmm. okay, so my eating has meaning yes. because it's aesthetic. Come it's on. Prophetic. That's why my eating has meaning. Before it didn't have meaning. It was just like if I wanted to eat something, I ate it. I just mm -hmm. liked it. It didn't. It wasn't like I was interpreting these particular foods are going to heal my brain. These that's particular right. foods are are going to give me um, almost more energetic thoughts, that's so right. that I can. 
be a better writer. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, there was meaning in what I ate. Mm -hmm. And the same with movement, too. Mm -hmm. I just felt like exercising, oh, yeah, you got to work out because you have to. Mm -hmm. That didn't have meaning to me. So I never had interest in doing it. But through the Revelation Wellness um, whole mindset, I'm seeing, wait, wait, these movements are prophetic. Come on. They are um, escorting me. These movements escort me into my future. So why would I avoid them? Come on. I want, I want to join in what God is saying that he's doing in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I think though that's the biggest shift yeah. that I had for wellness is seeing that there's so much meaning behind it. Clearly, says the woman who brought a guitar, track (laughs) shoes, a typewriter, and a thread and a needle into her space (laughs) when she's got, I got to have meaning. Give me meaning and I will rise. That is so good. Okay, Mika, pray for our listeners, please. Pray for me too, all of us. Heavenly Father, you are great and you are good. You are good. And right now, I I ask that you drop the curtain on people's eyes, that wherever wherever the enemy has put a curtain in front of their faces so they they couldn't see you for who you are and they're imagining that you are harsh maybe they're imagining that you have an agenda that will be um counterproductive for their their dreams and hopes god they have forgotten that you are the origin of all dreams and all hopes and so i pray that you drop that curtain over people's eyes so they can see the you for your glorious self that you're extending a hand of friendship Mm -hmm. to every listener i pray that you heal hearts Mm -hmm. that are that are broken that you heal bodies yes lord broken i pray lord that you heal um, thoughts yes. that uh, that are out of whack, That's Lord. Right. You are the integrator. You bring everything back into harmony. Yes. So I pray for that right now for everybody. Um, in the name of our precious Lord Jesus. Yeah. You for being our friend. Amen. Amen.